Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. have to suffer the consequences of, of not being able to come into the presence of the Lord. It's one thing to have the privilege to come into his house, but I'm thankful that we're not just in his house, but we are in his presence tonight. Yes, Amen. This evening, I want to speak for a little while on the subject of the power of surrender, the power of surrender. Um, as odd as it may seem to us in the full scheme of things, that among the 12 disciples that were handpicked and chosen by the Lord, two of them denied him. Of course, readily coming to mind among those two would be Judas, the most familiar perhaps. But we must not be um, insensitive and forgetful and not realize that Simon Peter also betrayed the Lord by denying him. These two disciples denied the Lord, but they denied him in different ways. Yet they ended up in two very different places. I've often thought about the differences, the stark contrast between the end result of essentially the same thing. One life ended in tragedy, while the other life ended in victory and restoration. I believe that there was a, a complete difference and sometimes we see that not only play out in scripture, but we see that unfortunately play out in the lives of others. I don't really pretend tonight to have all of the answers, but I believe that we can go to the word of the Lord and find something to help us. I wanna be able to stand I want to be able to stand even if others fall. I want to be able to stand. I don't say that in sin, with a spirit of being insensitive, but I just want to be able to stand, having done all to stand. I believe that Jesus gives us the key to, to uh, living a Christian life. I really believe that. I, I don't think that he just sets us on a journey and, and forgets us or uh, just hopes us and wishes us well. I believe that Jesus gives us the key to be able to stand. Some of those keys are found in his closing comments of the Sermon on the Mount. He gives an answer to questions that life seems to pose. As a matter of fact, I believe that the key to standing could be summarized, if at all possible in one word, in the word obedience. Because I believe that obedience is that natural outflow or the natural outcome of a life that is completely surrendered to the Lord, whatever you would have me to do. Obedience reveals who we are in addition to revealing who we belong to, that we have surrendered our life to him and we will do what the spirit of God has called us to do. 
Obedience gives us the power to stand in tough times. It gives us the power not to be superhuman, but it gives us the power to just stand. I haven't always been setting records, haven't always been leaping over buildings, and haven't always been blasting our way through troops, but God has just helped us to keep pressing forward. In the book of Matthew, Jesus uses two sets of, two sets of people to, to serve perhaps as an illustration, an illustration with a clear truth that without surrender or without obedience, everything else we offer to him is absolutely useless. In Matthew 7, I want to turn our attention there to a few verses, uh, three verses, 21 through 23. The, the Bible says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? In verse 23, he said, Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now that is a very alarming passage of scripture. If you have any spiritual consciousness about you at all, if I have any about me, that is an alarming passage of scripture. Because he said, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord. Not everyone that goes through the motions. Not everyone that makes some profession with their lips. And so he gives us this first illustration. And he illustrates the importance of, of a personal relationship with him. Not someone who is a casual acquaintance, not someone who knows him from a distance, but I believe that Jesus is talking about the true spirit of discipleship. And so here he contrasts true discipleship with so-called discipleship. In other words, there are true disciples and there are false disciples. Now we don't wanna think sometimes along those lines. We would like to think that Everything at face value is what it is. On the French Riviera, on the French Riviera, there is such an important status symbol that is associated to having a balcony on your apartment. That social status or that standing that a balcony gives you on your apartment is so powerful and so real that it is quite common to see balconies that are simply painted on the outside walls of their houses. People even go as far to paint laundry hanging on a clothesline to give the touch of reality that from a distance, here is this social symbol that a family has truly made it. However, no matter how vivid the color the artist paints, the picture of the balcony or the clothes on the line, this is hypocrisy at its best. And so we have to be very careful that I don't just look the part and that you don't just look the part or that we don't just come into the house of God and we raise our hand at the appointed and appropriate time when in fact it's just a facade that in our heart there is not beating the heart of a true disciple because one day we're gonna stand before a living God and the Bible talks expressly about that day. It refers to that great day when all of God's plans for this present society have been fulfilled. It is a day that when every human that has ever lived will be gathered before the throne of God. I don't believe that day is far away. 
I believe the signs all around us point vividly toward that. And so it is imperative, it is imperative in this hour not to, not to hint that there was ever a time it would have been all right to be neutral because the Lord could come for any of us individually at any moment in time. But I would say, Lord, help me to be ready. Help me to be ready. Human words are simply not adequate to describe the magnitude of this encounter, humanity in the presence of deity. What will we say to the Lord on that day? What will that moment in time be for each and every one of us? What will we think or what will we be feeling? What will be going through our mind? I don't know how far you allow your imagination to wander, but I wanna be prepared as I can for that day. Undoubtedly, I believe that we're gonna, one of the things we're gonna be called on is to answer for the relationship that we have with God. At least it is clear from this passage of scripture that, that people in question are responding to some sort of inquiry from the Lord. Wouldn't that be a, a fair assumption that, that there is some sort of dialogue that is going on because he said, there's gonna be people that say unto me that day, I've prophesied in your name and I've cast out devils in your name. We've done all manner of things in your name. He said, and, and we perform many miracles. And so here are people that are claiming to have done things in the name of the Lord. And so we would think in our own human estimation that people that prophesy or people that cast out demons or people that perform miracles must be valued disciples of the Lord. But the scripture seems to indicate otherwise. From all outward appearances, it would seem that their testimony is true and that their argument is valid. But when in truth, many people that are doing things in his name are not sanctioned of God to do that. Many people who work in Christian areas are in godly areas, if we could say that. Amen, many do, do that and do not even know the Lord. And so the point that Jesus is trying to make is this, that works for God is simply not evidence that we are truly his. Many years ago, many years ago, I heard an account from a reliable source, and I'm not trying to sound like the National Enquirer, or the Apostolic Inquirer for that matter. But I did hear an account from a reliable source uh, that, that knew from a different type of relationship of a well-known gospel singer, a well-known gospel singer that has been noted through the years for his sinful lifestyle. When behind closed doors and when the public isn't uh, obviously watching and things of that nature. And so when called out on this, he simply replied, I never claimed to be a Christian. I've only claimed to be a gospel singer. Amen. So many, many times, you know, we're kind of moved by the talent and the abilities of people. I'm not here trying to wash out the foundation of your confidence in people, but I'm just saying that, that there are people that are gonna claim Lord, Lord. There are people that are gonna say, I've done many things in your name. I've moved, I've moved congregations. I have moved coliseums singing about the power of your name and the wonders of your spirit. And the Lord can say, but I never knew you because you weren't a true disciple of mine. 
Amen. So we got finding that it's we find that shocking that Jesus is saying that everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter in the kingdom of heaven. It takes more than just saying Jesus is Lord to make us a child of God. It takes obedience to his will and doing uh, doing work for God doesn't mean that we're necessarily doing the will of God. I've said many times you can do the work of God and completely lose out with God while you're doing a work for God. You can be so caught up. I don't, I'm kind of a little reticent to mention certain things because I don't want to cast a negative shadow against any ministry, but you can get so caught up doing a certain ministry in the church that you grow stone cold in your heart and in your relationship with God because it just becomes mechanical after a while. We're just doing something as unto the Lord, but but God is not really in what we're doing. We may simply just be doing something that we want to do or doing something that gratifies us in our mind or in our heart. And so with the evidence that we are truly born of God, I believe there's going to be a reflection of that. Something is going to shine. Obedience is never an arbitrary thing. Obedience doesn't just randomly happen. Obedience is allowing the Lord to rule in our lives. And that means sometimes the Lord says no when our heart says yes. Or the Lord says yes when our heart says no. Obedience is a life of Christ being lived through us. Spendable change in the hand of God. What? No, you're not bought with a price. We're not our own. No, you're not. That we are spendable change in the hand of God. And so obedience is surrender to him. Obedience, I believe, flows from a living relationship with God. This directly flows from knowing God intimately. That's evident from Jesus' response in verse 23. He said, I will then declare unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Now the plain truth is that those who don't know the will of God do not know him no matter how many works they have done for him. We've got to know him not just how to do something mechanical, not just to know how to do something within the confines of our flesh. Works apart from that relationship are simply works that miss the mark. In a great forest, in almost any great forest, you will see huge trees that tower above all of the other trees. They appear to be the very picture of strength. They appear to be the picture of maturity. However, there are times when uh, loggers and things of that nature won't even bother to cut down that huge tree. And the reason is simple. And that's because they know that on the inside, they're rotten. These are the hollow trees that you see portrayed in the in the illustrations in a child's magazine, a hole in the tree and a coon coming out the side of that hole and how, excuse me, how cute and how quaint that may seem. But to the person that is trying to, to get timber from that tree, they understand that no matter what it looks like, no matter how picturesque that seems, no matter how whimsical that seems, if we're really trying to get saw logs out of this, if we're trying to get product out of this, it's just simply not there. They are often they are often blown over at the slightest windstorm. They appear to be the picture of strength, but it's the hollowness within that makes them what they really are. And this is the essence of hypocrisy pretending to be something, appearing to be strong when outside, when inside we are hollow and with nothing. And so the key to having substance is having obedience. 
I'm going to tell you today that what we need in our midst is worship that has substance, praise that has substance. We need teaching and preaching that has substance. We don't need the song to just get faster or to get louder. We don't need something to just stir our emotions or tickle our feelings. We don't need a message that just makes us feel good when we get up and walk away. We need something that has in it the ability to put meat on our bones, to put a foundation under our feet, to put something in our heart that will keep us and help us to stand when everything around us seems to be crumbling, to stand. It is vital not to confuse obedience with just doing things. I don't want to just do things. You know, years ago I used to hear this more so than I hear it now. I used to hear people jokingly say, let's go do something. Even if it's wrong, let's just go do something. Kind of a joke, you know, just let's just go do something. And uh, I think sometimes, you know, we, we get the essence of what somebody's trying to say and we get the humor behind that. But let's don't just go do something. Amen, because it may be wrong. But just because we're doing something that's not in the will of God or even in the timing of God doesn't mean that God is going to put his hand on it and sanction that. God has certainly indicated in his word that there are many sinful things that we as children of God should not engage in. But true Christianity, real heartfelt Christianity is not just keeping a list of rules and regulations, having a little check mark beside every little box when we lay down at night. I believe that true Christianity is about relationship. If we have the right relationship with God, we won't need a physical checklist because it will be written on the tables of our heart. When no one's looking, when no one's listening, when there's not an audience around, I want to do what's right because it's the right thing to do because I'm in relationship with him. And it's an outflow of relationship. Relationship is allowing the spirit to control, to control us. And so if we're going to claim to be spirit-filled, then we must be spirit-led. The spirit of God never leads us in ways that contradicts his word. And so as we follow his leading, we're going to find that he leads us down the path of obedience. And in this process, we have, we have works, of course, that are the outspringing of that. James said, faith without works are dead. But true disciples don't just say, Lord, Lord. They absolutely walk in the will of God. The wise and the foolish men, or builders rather, are found in, in the following verses. Verse 24, the Bible says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which buildeth his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. The second set of people in this scripture is described by the Lord and it illustrates what it takes for us to be able to, to enable us to stand when everything around us is crumbling. <clears throat> Again, we see that obedience is the key. In verses 24 through 27, Jesus contrasts <clears throat> the wise and the foolish builder. He describes two men who built two houses. We don't know, but I think we can safely say 
that these houses could have been identical. To the casual observer, they may have been alike in every minuscule detail. And these houses would also be subjected to the same winds, the same storms, the same floods. The storms came. They came to both houses equally. But there was one fundamental difference in these houses. And that was one was built on the sand and the other was built on the rock. In other words, one builder of the house said, I'm gonna, deal, I'm gonna dig deep and I'm gonna go below just the dirt. I'm gonna get to the bedrock of something that's below and I'm gonna set the foundation there and then I'm gonna start coming up out of the ground while the other builder decided there's no need to waste our time in doing that. He decided I'll just simply start right here without laying the foundation, without making sure the bedrock was underneath. And the problem is the house was built on something that would shift, it would change. Amen, when the rains came and the floods came and the winds began to blow, it fell and the scripture said, and great was the fall of it <laughs> because nothing ever falls alone. Nothing just crumbles by itself. We will always take something with it. On the other hand, the, the house, the home that was built on the right foundation, the life that was built on the right foundation did not fall. It seems apparent to one and all that one man was wise while the other man was foolish. And so what makes the difference? The Bible says that one builder was he who heard his words and he acted on them. The foolish builder was one who heard his words but did not act on them. Both men heard, only one responded. Both heard, but only one obeyed. And the one who obeyed had a life or a home that would stand and the other did not. I wanna tell you tonight that I do not just wanna hear the word of God. But I don't want to just hear the word of God with my ear. I don't want to just hear the word of God and let it pass by. I don't want this Wednesday night to just be added to a litany, a list of many other Wednesday nights in my history. But I say, Lord, help me to hear the word and help me to do the word. Help me to live it with every fiber of my soul. key to our relationship with the Lord is being able to stand through the storms. Our obedience to the will of God and to the word of God is to be able to stand when the storms come. I want to know that the house is built out of the right thing when the winds start pressing down. All of us, of course, in the state of Florida, understand what it's like to endure storms, literal storms. And we hope when the winds really start laying down that everything is going to hold. I know the difference between having something that's built to withstand the wind and something you're not sure if it will withstand the wind. I've been that one when the wind died down that was out in the middle of the night with a flashlight shining outside. Make sure the roof was still on that barn. Make sure everything was still there because I wasn't sure that it was built out of the right thing. I wasn't sure that it had been laid well, had been well planned. I wasn't sure. And in these two illustrations, Jesus made it clear that it's not what we say that counts, but it's what we do 
That's what really matters. It's not what, it's not what we hear that counts, but it's what we do with what we hear. Amen. We're not accountable for what we know. Amen. We're not just accountable for what we learn. We gotta, we're, we're accountable for what we're responsible to know, what I'm responsible to learn. I heard a preacher many years ago say something that at first when I first heard it said, I wasn't sure that I understood it in context. But he said as he got up to preach that night, I'm you are responsible to the audience, he said. You are responsible tonight to hear what the Lord is saying whether I say it or not. I thought, hmm, I had, to, I had to let that marinate just a little bit. And so I believe that when we come into the house of the Lord, that we need to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. The Spirit sometimes is subject to the flesh. The Spirit of, the, of speaking to a congregation is subjected to the person that's tasked with the responsibility of speaking. That's me tonight. But I may be having an off night. My mind may be somewhere else. There'll be times you could be sick in your body and the vessel is not what it should be. And so when I come to the house of God, I just can't fold my arms and say, well, if he says it, then I'll receive it. Amen, I need to hear what the spirit of the Lord is saying. I don't wanna just hear what the speaker has to say. I wanna hear what the spirit has to say. I hope I'm making sense tonight in that regard. Amen, we need to hear what the spirit of the Lord is speaking in our midst. The people surrounding Jesus were amazed at his teaching. The Bible says that he taught them as one having authority, not just as a scribe not just as someone who was learned, not someone who had learned how to enunciate every little word and punctuate every little sentence, but they said there's something different about this man. There is an authority that he speaks with. There is a power that he speaks with. Of course, the reason Jesus was teaching as one with authority was because he was authority. And so tonight, if we have him with us, and if we have him in us, he will be the authority in our life. And so how we respond to him is key. I'm gonna ask our musicians to come. Excuse me, I don't know why I'm having trouble with my voice. So if we decide that we know best how to live for God, then we will never have what God fully intends for us to have. Consequently, we'll never experience the fullness of what he intends for us to experience because God is not just calling us to commit to a few things. God is asking us to commit everything, everything. He's calling us to surrender everything. God is not just wanting a couple of hours in your spare evenings. He wants our life. He wants permission to wake us at two o'clock in the morning, burden to pray. Yes, he does. God wants the whole of our lives. He will live through us. He will empower us, not to just do a few good works, but he said greater works than these shall you do. God is calling the church to greater works. There is power in a surrendered life. And so we must be real because I believe that the world around us deserves nothing less than real. I want to ask you to stand. When Howard Carter and his associates found 
the tomb of King Tut. They opened the casket and they found within it another casket. They opened the second casket which was covered with gold leaf only to find a third casket. And inside the third casket was a fourth casket made of pure gold. It was in the fourth casket that the Pharaoh's body was found wrapped in a gold cloth with a gold face mask. However, when they started unwrapping the body, what they found was skin that was leathery and shriveled because what they found within was what was really there. So whether we are trying to cloak a dead spiritual life in caskets of gold to, to, to impress others, the beauty of the outside does not change the absence of life on the inside. So we can dig away and pry away. And when we get to the heart of the matter, that's what really matters. It's what's in our heart. Not what someone thinks we are, what we profess to be. It's not what the newspapers say we are. Not what the headlines declare. It's what we really are when we stand in the presence of all Mighty God. On that day, we're going to stand before him. We're not going to give an account as a church, as a body, as a family. But I'm going to have to stand there. My Lord. Amen. You know, let's just Perhaps think about it in this light. That even for the church at the white throne judgment, we're going to still have to stand and give an account for what we did with what God gave us to work with. Amen. I don't want anything or anyone, any circumstance to take away from the treasure that God really wants to shine in our lives. I want to stand before him today like I would stand before him on that day. I'm not saying that for us to cower in fear. No. I'm saying for us to stand with the courage and confidence. I'm going to have to give an account. This whole world, everybody that's ever taken a breath is going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account. But I don't want to just write us off. I want us to realize tonight that even full of the Holy Ghost, we're going to have to give an account of what God has placed in us. Our talents, what have we done with them? Did we invest them wisely or did we bury them in the sand? Did we say, not now, pick somebody else, choose someone? I would say, Lord, help me to realize there's power in a surrendered life. There's power in giving God my everything. Amen. Can we just magnify him together tonight? Can we praise him? This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. 
We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.